going through the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, over uh, the calendar year here. And so we've made it, uh, this sermon will be the end of our second series where we're looking at God's calling on our lives. God's calling on our lives. I have said that some of the callings on uh, a person's life are very specific to who they are. Uh, God has called me to be the husband of Angela Lejeune and only me to be the husband. God has given you calls uh, on your life that are specific to you. And no two people's journey is the same. However, there are some callings that Jesus gave us that are, uh, that are for all of the Lord's disciples. And those we want to look at and focus on tonight, we're going to... Uh, follow up on the sermon we preached last week. We looked at the command in Matthew 28 last week to go ye into all the world, all the nations, and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we looked at the command to go, teach, baptize, and disciple as you become fervent in your soul-winning efforts to go tell the world about Jesus, you're going to face some opposition. And when that opposition comes... You're going to need to know what to expect and how to handle that. So let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 16 through verse number 20. Jesus tells His disciples here, He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in, your, in their synagogues. Ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. There in verse 19 it says that we're to take no thought how or what ye shall speak. The title of the sermon Tonight, and a summary of the command of Christ here in this passage is this. Don't worry about how to witness. Don't worry about how to witness. The Lord is going to give you that at that time. Let's pray this evening. (coughs) Lord, thank you tonight for the Bible. Thank you for the assurances that it gives us. We live in a world filled with so uh, uh, so many unknowns, so many things that... Lord, loom in the shadows of life that maybe could cause us fear. And Lord, one such uh, unknown is this idea of having to stand for our faith all the way to the death. God, we have been blessed as a people for hundreds of years to get to live in a bubble of free speech and freedom of religion. We don't know how much longer that will last. We pray that will last through all of our lifetimes and our children's lifetimes. But Lord, in the case that we are required to take a stand for our faith in the face of governmental control, help us, Lord, to have the assurances and understand the assurances offered here in this passage. Lord, as we look back at history, both in the Bible and throughout history, and we see how uh, men and women had great courage, may we take, Lord, heart from that. Lord God, guide me as I preach. Help my words to be pleasing to you. Help what I say to be honest and accurate. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
when Jesus walked the earth with His disciples, He knew exactly how to handle the carnivorous Pharisees. They were wolves looking to attack. Uh, but Jesus was deity. He was deity. I've got one, but thank you. That's very kind of you. The youth of the church and I are making sure I'm taken care of. they got the sound system. And uh, my daughter brought me a bottle of water. Now Danny's trying to bring me a bottle of water. Amen? I'm thankful for our teenagers. I really am. Our uh, Pharisees, they were wolves, but they were no, <laughs> they stood no chance against Jesus. Jesus was deity. During the three and a half years that Jesus was with His disciples, He shielded them from these wolves. They, they could not get to the disciples because Jesus was there and He was greater than they were. Uh, the day came where the physical form of Jesus ascended to heaven and they were left to face these wolves on their own. Jesus, the great shepherd, would not be there to defend them in the flesh. Matthew 10, Jesus is preparing them for that time. That they would be sheep ministering among wolves. He knew the hardship that awaited them, even though they had no idea. Jesus tells them in essence, one day you will be arrested, beaten and taken before kings and magistrates. He says this in Matthew 10, 19 and 20. If I could summarize it, he says, When you do, don't worry about what you will say or how to defend yourself. The Holy Spirit will take over. He will speak through you. He will speak on your behalf. Now, when someone goes to court and one is on trial, they usually pay uh, the best lawyer that their money can afford. And they work up with their lawyer the best defense possible to get them out of any legal trouble. If they're innocent, they work very hard to portray the truth so that they don't have to suffer any penalty of any sorts under the legal system. Jesus is, and so imagine this, you've been arrested uh, for preaching the gospel and you're getting ready to go stand before a judge and you're going to have to defend yourself and you're in that jail cell and you're waiting for that time and your heart races and your mind races and you're trying to work up, what will I say? How will I handle myself? How will I defend myself and my faith before this judge? Jesus is saying here that you won't need to be an articulate individual, nor will you need a high dollar attorney. All you will need to do is rely on the Spirit of God, and He is going to speak up and speak through you. Listen to John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. The word comforter is our word paraclete, or legal advocate. Uh, how comforting of a thought is this. Listen now, the same Holy Spirit that placed Jesus in Mary's virgin womb, endorsed Jesus and His public ministry, restored Jesus after His temptation, and raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that is responsible for the salvation of the Christian, the eternal security of the Christian, the sanctification of the Christian, and the glorification of the Christian, the same Spirit of God that moved upon the face of the deep and uh, uh, participated in the creation of our universe is the same Spirit of God that will speak through your vocal cords and defend you against kings and magistrates when you are being persecuted for your faith. What a thought. 
There is no lawyer. There is no attorney or advocate that could ever do the job that the Holy Spirit of God will do when He speaks up through you and for you in that time of persecution. I can imagine sitting in a prison cell somewhere with stripes on my back from having been flogged or beaten, waiting to stand before some God-hating judge to give an account for my witnessing on behalf of Christ. I imagine sitting there trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Jesus says, don't worry about how to witness. Don't worry about how to witness in the face of hostility. Your legal advocate, the Holy Ghost, will do all the speaking for you. Well, I'm going to share with you some accounts tonight of some people who were very bold in the face of persecution because the Holy Ghost of God took over. Now, we know that we live in a bubble of comfort and protection from the great pains of persecution. One day soon, I believe that bubble very well may be popped. and Persecution may very well fall on the Christian church here in our Western culture. We must not wait until free speech and freedom of religion have been completely taken from us before we decide that we will be devoted to the Lord and His cause. That choice to sell out to the Lord and His cause is not going to happen if you wait till after it's been stripped away. That choice to buy in for the Lord and be all in on the Lord's team takes place now while you still have your freedoms. You see, once those liberties are stripped away, it's going to pull back uh, the facade of many fake Christians and many people who just simply go to church because it's convenient or go to church because it makes them feel good but aren't really in love with the Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to bolt out that door and you'll never see them again. Christians who are serious about the Lord are going to get far more serious about the Lord. Now, I'm preaching to the choir tonight for you to show up on a sunny night uh, in the culture and time and day in which we live is you are by far the exception of the rule. Uh, I don't even know that there is another church in Stratford that has a Sunday evening service. And so if you consider the population of our city and the amount of people here tonight, uh, you are in the far minority for even being here, which is a sign that you are likely devoted to the Lord. But let me just make sure tonight we all understand that, it, that, that we need to stay devoted to the cause of Christ. We need to stay devoted to our love for the Lord. We need to be sold out for Christ. I want us to look at three simple thoughts as we consider the command of Christ around our calling. Don't worry about how to witness. Let's consider Matthew 10 this evening and notice, number one, a hostile environment. A hostile environment. Jesus told His disciples that there would come a day when the temperature against their devotion would be turned up hot. There would be a civil war of sorts Against their faith. Look with me at Matthew 10 and look at verse number 21. 21. The Bible says, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Did you catch that? Family giving up family over their faith. And causing them to be put to death. How brainwashed do you have to be to tell on your own child or parents knowing it's going to lead to their death? Look at 22. And ye shall be hated of all men 
for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. So we know there's coming a day, there's coming a time, and in some areas of the world right now, they are already living in that day and time. But we know that here in our own country, there very well may be coming a day or time very soon where the environment is quite hostile toward our faith. We all know, as Christians, there is a passive-aggressive hostility toward our faith. But there's going to come a day, I believe very soon, where it goes from being passive-aggressive to just aggressive against those who believe. Notice letter A. Jesus talks about our disposition. Our disposition. Go back with me and look at verse number 16 in Matthew chapter 10. The Bible says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Look what, it, look what the instructions are here. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. There are some believers who think that violence is the only way to combat violence. While defending oneself is both defended in Scripture, uh, uh, violence is not Christ's model. If Christ's model is not for you to return uh, uh, tooth for tooth, cheek for cheek on these things. Rather, we are to, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. We are to go the second mile. He says, uh, you're not to be a wolf amongst wolves. You're not to fight fire with fire. Rather, you are to be a sheep among wolves. In fact, here he says, you're to be wise as servants, serpents. rather. And notice that last phrase, we're to be harmless as doves. Harmless as doves. We're not to pick up arms and go to war. No, we're to be harmless as doves. In the face of uh, hostility, Christians are to be both meek, but yet wise. Meek, but wise. Uh, be very careful about joining up with any uh, para, uh, para group uh, organizations that want to take up arms and go out and fight against uh, the forces. You say, well, I'm on, I'm on the, the side of right, and I think we need to stand up and fight. And I just want to remind you, Christian, the Bible says we're to be harmless as doves. And I want to make a very clear distinction. There is a difference between taking up arms for your country and fighting for the liberty and freedom within the uh, organized military of your country against the forces of evil outside when your own government is coming for you. And uh, when, you, uh, when you feel that uh, your Christianity is being stripped away, or the rights of your Christianity is being stripped away, Jesus Christ, the captain of the army, gave a very clear declaration, we're to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Consider Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. It says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. We're to be prudent. We're to be careful. We're to be wise. But we're yet to be harmless. Letter A, our disposition. And I know not everyone agrees with what I just said. That'll be okay. Letter B, notice our discernment. Our discernment. Look down with me at Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse number 17. The beginning of the verse says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. Notice that there. We're to beware. We're to beware of men who will deliver us up to the councils. Jesus told His disciples that there will be those who betray your trust and turn you over to the councils. He said, Don't be surprised by this. Rather expect it. Beware. Be on high alert. You ever seen a beware of dog sign on someone's fence outside of their house? I get tickled at some of the dogs that are hiding behind the other side of the house. 
And they come running around the house, and you're like, there's nothing to be aware of there, right? I mean, I, I think if I tried real hard, I could kick that further than I would a football, right? I really got hold of that thing. I, I don't kick dogs. That's meant to be a joke. But uh, beware of dogs. And as someone who's done my share of door-to-door soul winning throughout the years, I have been chased by my share of dogs. One day I was uh, out on a porch and knocking doors in suburbia Baltimore. Actually, it was inner-city Baltimore, but knocking doors in uh, Baltimore and uh, trying to invite people to church. And this lady, we went through a fence. And it was probably from here to about where Miss Barb Plute is sitting, uh, her front door to the outside of the fence, a good 25 feet or so. And, and she said to me, she said, I want to make it clear, I don't want you here. you got three seconds to get off my property. You're going to get bit by a dog. And I looked behind her, and there's a Rottweiler. And she said, I'm not kidding. Three, two. She got to two, and me and my partner turned around and we booked it. And she let that dog go when she got to zero. And we hopped. We didn't go out the gate. We hopped the fence. And that dog hit the fence right behind us. All right? Beware. I'm not, that's not a made-up story. Every bit of that story is true. Beware. Beware of a dog. Now, we're to beware of these people who will look to turn you over to the councils. Turn you over and get you in trouble. I do not want to get into political conversation this evening. Oh, I work hard to stay off of politics from the pulpit. But if you pay any attention to what is going on in our justice system federally, you will see that in some instances it's been weaponized against religious groups. Catholic churches have been labeled by portions of our FBI as terrorists. There is this thing called metadata. Metadata, this is a collection of your location, your social media use, your Google searches. All of these things are compiled on servers uh, and, uh, and are used as a profile of you. A profile of you is built. Um, my source on this next part of the sermon is Pastor Andrew. He could give you more details on it. I've heard him share this a couple of times and made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Uh, some years ago, Target developed the ability to track people's purchases via their Target credit card. And through watching the items that were bought and the uh, age and gender of the person buying them, they were able to predict with incredible accuracy when a woman was pregnant. They would send out coupons about prenatal vitamins and maternity needs before the, and they would arrive in a mailbox before the woman had even discovered she was pregnant through a pregnancy test. Wow. In fact, some teenage, teenage girls were getting these in the mail. And dads would call up and say, what are you doing mailing this to my daughter? Only to find out two weeks later that their daughter was indeed pregnant. Um, the power of our data. The power of our data. Companies pay big, big, big money to get their hands on our data. And I just want you to understand tonight that there is no, nothing is free. You say, what's well, free to sign up for a Facebook account? Listen, uh, if, if you're not paying for the service, then you are the service. They're getting out of you what they want. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, oh, I encourage you to look into these things because you are being played if you don't know what's going on. 
the world of the data. Now imagine this engine of tech being used to one day single out Christians. You say, oh, that pastor, that sounds so conspiratorial. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. But if they can already single out people who are pregnant through a Target credit card purchase, you think they can't go through your data and figure out whether or not you're a Christian? You think if the government decides they want to become hostile against Christians, they don't already have enough data on you to know who you are, where you live, what your phone number is, what your social security number is, what your bank account number is? You mix all of this with the artificial intelligence technology that is getting ready to sweep across the horizon and completely change our world. If you don't know much about artificial intelligence, I'm here to tell you tonight, and again, some of you might think I'm crazy for preaching on this stuff, but as the gatekeeper and as the man up in the watchtower looking out for the people of this church, artificial intelligence is an invention on the level of electricity. It is an invention on the level of the telephone. It is getting ready to sweep across our world and completely change the way that we think, use, and do everything. And if you think that one day that technology won't be mixed with metadata to come after you for what you believe, you are naive, my friend. There is a day coming where we need to be of great discernment and we need to be very careful because the Bible tells us in Matthew ten seventeen we are to beware of men that will deliver us up to the council. Let her see our discomfort. Our discomfort. Look at Matthew 10, look at verse 17, but be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. To scourge would mean to take a whip and beat someone across the back. Christians in the United States of America in 2023 are drunk on being comfortable. Many can't even make it back for a Sunday evening service because it's too inconvenient to do so. When hostility becomes the norm, will you be willing to be scourged for your Savior? Will you be willing to take a whip across the back for the Lord for what you believe? You've heard me say many times that the symbol of the Christian of a Christian is what? It's the cross. What is a cross? It's two rugged pieces of lumber that represent pain and suffering. The Christian life is symbolized by a cross, and a cross is to be pain and suffering, not comfort and convenience. But Christians are drunk on being comfortable. Suffering is supposed to be normal for the Christians. Maybe me even more than most, but Christians today are coddled. Coddled. I just want to ask this evening, would you be willing to be tortured for your faith? Would you be willing to be put through an internment camp for your faith? Would you be willing to be put through great horror? And be told all you have to do is walk away from Christ and denounce your faith and we'll let you go. Would you stand strong even if it meant death? My friend, faith overcomes fear. Many Christians are driven by fear. The fear we deal with in our country right now, our culture right now, is no more than just the fear of social rejection. We're told to either comply or be condemned. And the condemnation is not that of a jail cell. The condemnation is just being 
on the outside of the culture looking in and being made to feel like as though we're hateful or we're a reject by the culture. And many people will go along to get along and they do what they're told by the culture so that they're not on the outside and they're not a reject. And right now the fear that controls many Christians is just simply the fear of social rejection. But what about when social rejection is culturally automatically baked in the cake and the stakes are raised and the fear will become, instead of the fear of rejection, will instead become the fear of death. If you're not willing to suffer rejection today, then you will not be willing to suffer and die tomorrow. A hostile environment. Again, I see in our country today already an environment that is hostile toward Christians, but it is a mild hostility It is, I believe, only going to get stronger if God does not revive us uh, spiritually. Number two, we see some historical examples. Some historical examples. Let's begin by looking at some biblical accounts that will lay out for us what I just explained to you in this hostile environment. Take your Bibles over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 5. Let's talk about Peter and John. You know the story. Jesus has ascended to heaven. Peter and the apostles have stood up at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They've preached and seen 3,000 saves. Um, they then go into the temple and they see a man healed. And actually that's Acts 5. But here Acts 4, we find them being arrested and brought in for what they believe. Look down at chapter 4. Look at verse 5. It says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes... Scribes, verse 6 goes on and gives you more details about who these people are. Peter and John are being brought before them in order to be uh, challenged as though judges and kings and magistrates to punish them. Look down at verse 7. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Now, remember what Jesus said back in Matthew 10, 19 and 20. He said, when the day comes that you stand in front of these people, the Holy Ghost will speak through you. Now, look here. Verse 8. Then Peter, what's it say there? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Who's speaking on behalf of Peter? The Holy Ghost is. Filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deeds done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Notice the boldness here. Neither is there, neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, I love this, unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They, by what power, by what authority, by what name do you do this? The Holy Ghost rises up within Peter, takes over Peter's vocal cords, and Peter puts it right back in their face and says, the man that you rejected, the corner, chief cornerstone that you pushed away, the man that you crucified on the cross, it is by his name and his power and his authority that we do this. And these men step, step back and they go, these folks are unlearned and ignorant. And look at the power by which they speak. Look at Acts chapter 5, talking about, uh, talking about our willing to stand, our willingness to stand, talking about our hostile and cult, uh, hostile environment, 
talking about being put through discomfort, look at their attitude toward being scourged. Look at Acts chapter 5, look at verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Hey, they weren't afraid of a beating. They weren't afraid of stripes. They weren't afraid of suffering. They had watched their Savior suffer. And they were they counted it a pleasure to get to suffer for the name of Jesus. Not only Peter and John, turn to Acts 6. Let's look at another biblical account of the Holy Ghost taking over and speaking on someone's behalf. Look at Acts 6. Let's talk about Stephen. Look at verse number 8. Acts 6, the Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogues, which is called... Um, which is called the synagogues of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and them of Cilician of Asia, uh, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes and came upon them and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witness, which witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Look at 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. His face is lit up like an angel. Do you think Stephen is filled with the Holy Ghost here? He's preaching with great power. He's been drugged before the council. And everyone, if you will, in the peanut gallery looks at him and says, there's something going on with his face. He's been with the Lord. Now, chapter 7, we're not going to read it, all of it. Turn to verse 54. He takes the history of the country of Israel and he puts it right back in their face in a way they had never heard. And you talking about preaching a bold sermon. Uh, He let these guys have it. He called them every name that he could call them, but it was all accurate and it was all fair. He pretty much said, your fathers are the ones that persecuted Moses and the prophets, and now you're pers- you've, you've killed Jesus, and now you're persecuting me. Look at 54. When they, had, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. How angry do you have to be to go run it up to someone and start biting them? They were biting on him. Look at 55. Read that first uh, beginning of the verse with me right here. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. Who's speaking through, through uh, Stephen here? It's the Holy Ghost. He's been drugged before a council in a hostile environment. And our historical example, Stephen, shows us that the Holy Ghost is the one speaking through him. Looking up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. So they're gnashing on him with their teeth. They're stopping their ears, ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. We now know that to be Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Peter and John have the Holy Ghost speak through them. Stephen has the Holy Ghost speak through them. 
let me give you a historical account here of uh, Jesus' disciple Andrew. Andrew. Historians Bernard and Cyprian record the account of Andrew's ministry and death. Now, I had never read this in detail uh, like this until I put together this sermon. This is fascinating. Listen closely. They tell us that around the time that God used Andrew's preaching ministry to bring many people to faith in Christ, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Aegeus, the governor, responded to these new conversions by asking the Roman Senate to force all Christians to sacrifice to Roman idols. Andrew, of course, um, resisted Aegeus and went to tell him, saying, while worshiping the true God, one should banish all false gods and blind idols from his mind. Upon hearing this, Aegeus flipped his lid and demanded to know if Andrew was the man who had recently overthrown the temples of the gods and persuaded all kinds of men to become Christians. Christians at this point were considered a superstitious sect uh, declared illegal by the Romans. To this, Andrew boldly replied, The rulers of Rome didn't understand the truth. The Son of God, who came into the world for man's sake, taught that the Roman gods were devils, enemies of mankind, teaching men to offend God and causing Him to turn away from them. By serving the devil, men fall into all kinds of wickedness, and after they die, nothing but their evil deeds are remembered. Not to our surprise, the proconsul ordered Andrew to not preach these things anymore, otherwise he would face a speedy crucifixion upon this threat from the Romans. Listen to Andrew's reply. Andrew replied with this amazing line, I would not have preached the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. He was thereby condemned to be crucified for taking away the religion of the Roman gods. Andrew, while en route to the place of his execution and seeing the cross waiting for him, never changed his expression, nor did he stumble in his words. With his bold faith maintained, he said, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously I come to you, being the scholar of him which did hang on you, because I have already been your lover and yearn to embrace you. These people were not afraid to suffer. When the day came, boldness came flowing through them because of the Holy Ghost speaking through them. Let's look at some post-biblical examples of those who faced hostility and were led by the Holy Spirit on how to speak. And we could be here till tomorrow morning going through and not even scratch the surface. But I have two more here I want to share with you. First, let's talk about Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop or pastor of the church of Smyrna. And many believers, um, rather many believe he was a disciple of the Apostle John. As an 86-year-old man, he was persuaded by those who loved him to move out of the city of Smyrna and onto the, um, into the mountains uh, as the culture had become quite, quite hostile toward Christianity. The Roman governor sought him out on, the, rather the Roman government sought him out on that farm. When the soldiers arrived... Uh, for his arrest, he brought them into his place and he offered to cook them a meal, knowing why they were there. He was then taken. He refused to recant. He was burnt at the stake, being the first post-apostle uh, martyr, 86 years old. He refused to recant. He died for his faith. 
This next account is about 40 Roman soldiers. Governor Agricola of Armenia was comforted, uh, was confronted with mutiny. Forty soldiers refused to offer the sacrifice ordered by Emperor Licinius. Um, the forty who stood before him that wintry fourth century day in Sevasti were fine specimens of manhood who radiated an aura of courage. He was determined to make them see reason. But the soldiers were adamant. They refused to sacrifice. To do so was to betray their faith in Christ. But what about your comrades, asked Agricola. Consider you alone of all Caesar's thousands of troops defy him. Think of the disgrace you bring upon your legion. They replied, to disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is more terrible still. Exasperated, the governor threatened to flog and torture them. The soldiers stood firm, although they knew he would carry out his threat. In the 4th century, there were few civil rights. Boldly the men answered, Nothing you can offer us would replace what we would lose in the next world. As for your threats, we despise our bodies when the welfare of our souls is at stake. Pairs of guards seized each men and dragged them out onto the cold, into the cold where they were stripped naked and tied to posts. Whips laid upon their backs. An iron hook tore their sides. Still the forty refused to surrender. Agricola chained them in his dungeons. Finally he commanded that they be stripped naked again and driven onto the ice of a pond below Sevasti. The rebels did not wait for the sentence to be imposed. But tearing off their own clothes, ran to the pond in the raw march air. We are soldiers of the Lord and fear no hardship, they said. What is death for us but an entrance into eternal life? On that day, March 9th, year 320, singing hymns, they stood shivering on the pond as the sun sank. Baffled, Agricola ordered hot baths placed around the pond to taunt them. Surely the warm water would lure the men off the ice. But the crisp night air carried a prayer to all ears. Lord, there are forty of us engaged in this battle. Grant that forty men may be crowned and not one be wanting from this sacred number. One of the men did lose his nerve, however, and crawled off the ice to the bath. He died the instant he touched the hot water. This was too much for one of the guards. He shut off his clothes marched onto the ice and took the place of the man who had failed. We see here some historical examples of people who when faced with hostility, they stood strong. They stood strong. Let's finish up this evening and let's look at yet one more thought. Let's see how heaven can be exalted. When I say heaven, I mean the Lord Jesus. Go back with me to Acts chapter 7. Let's talk about our Savior. Letter A, our Savior. The Bible says about Stephen, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Notice who he saw. He saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And 
cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. And saying, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had done this, he fell asleep. I am afraid that many will not have the courage to stand boldly for their Savior. Because Jesus is not currently at the center of their life. I touched on this this morning when I talked about the poison of selfish love. The humanism that has crept into our day and our age. We have everything, listen closely, we have everything personalized to meet our every whim and desire. From our food to our vehicles, to our beds and pillows, to our climate-controlled cars and homes, to the chair we sit in at church or in our living room. We take selfies on our iPhones and stream YouTube. Our streaming cable services are custom-built to meet our every personal preference. As I mentioned a moment ago, soon you'll have an AI bot assistant tailored to answer your every question and meet your deepest intellectual needs. Are you listening this evening? When we run into hard times financially, we turn to MasterCard and Visa. Instead of prayer. When we run into hard times emotionally, we turn to therapists and shrinks instead of turning to God and His wisdom. When we run into hard times relationally, we turn to counselors or intellectuals to tell us what to do instead of running into the presence of God. When we run into hard times medically, We trust the medical system supremely instead of the God who made our bodies and is all-powerful to heal us. We are drunk on comfort and what makes us feel good. We are entitled to believe that somehow our every whim and need and desire and feeling must be met. And when we don't get our way, we complain and we moan and we cry about how unfair life or someone is our direction. We claim to believe in God and we say that He is enough. But the reality is that many expect the Lord to be more like Santa Claus. Giving you everything you ask for in prayer. You give up on God when He doesn't. Or... Some treat the Lord as though He's 911. You stay over there and I'll call you and I have a problem. And if the problem's bad enough and I can't figure it out, then, Lord, please come help me. I'm in a desperate spot. Lord, please step in. Emergency, emergency. My grandma's going to die. Help me right now. Please step in and do something. You parents that have children that are adults, you don't just want them to call you when they run out of money. You want them to call you and have a relationship with you. 
We claim prayer doesn't work. Because we don't know how to take no or wait. Or you just need to endure in prayer as an answer. We are self-absorbed on a sick level that we don't even begin to understand. I believe it's a blind spot for most people. Me, 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 I, I, I. We pray that way, we talk that way, we live that way. We are me-centric. We are egotistical. We want our own names lifted up and exalted. Do I need to give a disclaimer tonight that there's nothing wrong with having nice things? I think we all know that I believe that. I have nice things. I sleep in a comfortable bed. I drive a comfortable car. I use the air conditioner in my car. That's not the point. The point is that we're drunk on these things. And we're entitled toward these things. Christian. God has not called you to live a life of comfort. He has not not made you to be the focal point on which the universe spins. No! He is your Savior. He is the Creator. He is to be your King. You are His servant. He is not your servant. You are made to please Him and not the other way around. When you stand for the Lord and you live your life for other, for Him and for others, uh, uh, you're going to be hated. You may very well even be persecuted when you stand for truth and you speak truth and you stand by truth. People who speak lies, people who are powerful, who believe lies, they will tear you down. They will criticize you. They may even well try to hurt you. But heaven will be exalted and your Savior will be lifted up. When I get to the end of my life, boy, I sure don't want it to be how great of a man Richard Lejeune was. No, I hope others will say, Richard Lejeune served a great God in heaven. Our Savior. Our Savior. Don't build your kingdom. Don't be so self-absorbed and consumed Oh no, you live your life for the Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, if persecution comes to the Christian church in the United States of America in the next 20 to 30 years, and you're already living with Jesus at the center of your life, this sermon right here will be no problem for you. But if it's me, 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 uh, you, 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 and all of a sudden now it's got to become Lord, 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 Jesus, 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 oh, you are going to have a tough time. Letter A, our Savior. Letter B, Our sacrifice. Our sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 tells us that living for Jesus with Him at the center of our lives is our reasonable service. I will close with this thought. If Jesus can die for you, then you should be able to live for Him. John Huss was labeled a heretic by the Catholic Church in 1415. Died by fire at the stake. What was his heresy? 
Well, he said, and I quote, the Pope is not the head, for Christ alone is the head of the church. Because he refused to recant that statement and others like it, he was killed. No one here this evening questions the authority of Christ. At least not audibly. I can stand up here and say the Lord Jesus is the head of the church and no one here would bat an eye. But do we live our lives obedient to His every command? Is He really the head of your life and heart? Does what He say goes? Or do you pick and choose the commandments that you want to obey? What will you say if you stand before magistrates? Words of wisdom and the strength to endure harsh, radical persecution will be provided you by God's Holy Spirit. You will never get there until you learn to surrender to Him today and obey His command to deny the flesh and be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Some of you here tonight, you know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit of God take over and speak through you. You've been out soul winning and you've shared your faith and Lo and behold, you walked away from that person and said, I just shared things that I don't even know where they came from. The Spirit of God took over and spoke through me to that person. If you've never experienced that, let me just say to you, it's a very special thing to know and feel. I don't know how God's Spirit is working on you tonight. I know that We've held some examples up of people who took some very strong stands and lost their life in the process. Pastor, I'm not so sure that if being a Christian is going to cost me my life, I want to move forward. Please understand, this is not about you. This is about exalting heaven. White Oak Baptist Church, we have got to get the self-absorbed, me-first attitude out of our hearts. This morning I preached about loving others. The reason why we don't love others is because we're too busy loving ourselves. The reason why we don't love our Savior and lift Him up is because we're too busy looking after our own wants and desires. Dear Lord, would You help us tonight? Prick our hearts. Deal with our pride and our self-centeredness. I don't know that everyone here battles with everything I preach on tonight, but Lord, I believe many do. Lord, I know that I do at times. Show us, Lord, where we can grow and we can make You the center of all that we do. May we put You first. Lord God, may we really, truly make some heart choices tonight during our time of prayer. May we look deep inside and see. Spirit of God, would you prick and convict on the inside. Show us where we can grow and be better. Lord God, guide this time in Jesus' name.